0: Football is back and so is the Ringer NFL show coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability,
0: amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
2: There's one person to blame for this farce. It's you. (laughs) Ha ha
0: ha 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 ha. A quonga out. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast Ringer SC. I'm Musa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks Musa. How are you? I'm very, very well. Lovely weekend. Yeah, it was It was good actually. It was good actually. Yeah. Um, good vibes, quite
2: chilled. Nice. First of all, hope everyone's staying safe and well. Getting vaccinated if you can.
0: Getting the booster if you can.
2: Give me the booster. Listen. Give me that boost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we need to get onto admin. You've got a piece going up on the Ringer about Oligon and Solskjaer. It's up. It's up. It's up. Yeah. Ah. You've got a piece up on The Ringer.
0: It was, it was up in the dead of night. Oh. It was up in the dead of night.
2: Brother Admin, Righty's House on Wednesday. You and I and Righty and Mr. Arsene Wenger. We're going to do a That's wild. It is, yeah, it is quite wild. That's wild. Uh, That's wild. If I That's think wild. about it too much, my head kind of just goes a bit like meh. Um, we talk about the Arsene Wenger Invincible documentary, and then we have a chat with Arsene himself. That will be up on the Ringer FC feed Wednesday morning. Uh, when uh, Stadio newsletter. If you want to sign up, stadio.football is the web address. Scroll to the bottom. Put your email address in. We only use it for sending you newsletters. It does not go anywhere else. Mm. Stadio number eight sweaters are still for sale. Go to weareprintsocial.com forward slash Stadio. All the proceeds are donated to the Trussell Trust, as are the proceeds for the tote bags that are also there. You can find them both there. And Stadio Archer's plays on Spotify. If you want to hear all the music we play on each episode, all in one playlist. I think that's everything. So today we are going to deal with the big managerial news of the weekend. Marcus Anfang leaving Werder Bremen.
0: <laughs> this, this is like, this story is wild
2: yeah due to the stress caused by in, an investigation ongoing about falsifying a vaccination certificate him and florian junger have left the club it only joined in the summer and there was a lot of hype, there was a lot of excitement about marcus anfang at werder and uh, a very 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 strange story but yes of course we are going to talk about Ole Gunnar show we'll probably talk about him for a while so if we have any time we'll do a quick roundup of some other stuff that we watched this weekend but I'm sure you'll understand this is probably the the thing we're going to talk about the most. So let's get into it after this. Let's start at the beginning. At the beginning. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is no longer the Manchester United manager after being relieved of his duties Saturday, late Saturday evening? Yeah. Or early Sunday morning, officially? After Manchester United's 4 1 defeat away at Watford. Now, before we get onto the Solskjaer stuff, shall we talk about Watford?
0: Yes. Yes. They
2: were very, very good and they thoroughly deserved the win. 20 attempts and on goal. 20 attempts on Manchester United's goal. This is all going to be lost because this is actually a really, really, <laughs> a really big result for Watford.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's their, first, their second win at home all season.
2: Gave them a little bit of breathing room over that bottom three. I mean, put it this way: considering that they had two penalties, one obviously one was a retake saved. That opening ten minutes, where that penalty incident happened, was absolutely bizarre for Manchester United. Bruno Fernandes with that weird shanks the ball back towards McTominay. It was like watching school football. That was like a school football decision. He just smashes it in the air from within his his own half. Watford allowed Man United to have the ball a little bit more than they needed to because Watford didn't need it. Watford were no. quite efficient with it. They created, what, like 2.51 xG. I know one of, our, one of those was a penalty. But still, like, they do this thing, Watford. They did it against Everton. Do you remember when they kind of just turbocharged in stoppage time and scored yeah. a couple
0: of goals to pull away? They have a lightning forward line, actually.
2: Some big narrative here,
0: huh? King. This is not a man that does muted celebrations, is it? <laughs> no, <laughs> he, scores, he scores against his old club. Every new club he goes to, like he was, he's doing it at Bournemouth, I think, and he's doing it at Watford. Um,
2: Didn't really do it at um, Everton, though.
0: (laughs) Narrative from Josh King. There is narrative, though. The other narrative, uh, Emmanuel Dennis, who, among the goals again, so he's got four and nine. Not bad record, actually.
2: He was your tip. What did you say? 15 goals
0: or 10 goals? 15. I can't remember. 15 Premier League goals. 15.
2: 15 Premier League goals. That's not, I mean...
0: It's not a wild shout. It depends if he scores in clusters, but he's good good for assists as well. He was probably Mm. the outstanding player the other day. He was brilliant. Um, Watford actually have given, they have given United a little bit of trouble at Vicarage Road, actually, over the last um, few seasons. They have, they've been good value. I mean,
2: they beat him the last time they were in the
0: Premier League. Yeah. Glad to see Ranieri smiling. Yeah. Are we going to talk about Harry Maguire's red card? We have to talk about all of it. Um, Harry Maguire's red card is so interesting. There's that old joke when you play Sunday League football, your second touch is a sliding tackle. And I was like, wow, that actually happened. His second touch for his second yellow was a sliding tackle. But there's something interesting about how the ball kind of, it gets away from him like a sort of, like a boiled egg. And you're like, Mm -hmm. hang on a minute. Like this is the same Harry Maguire that ripped the ball top corner for England in the Euros final, was supremely self-assured in possession you know, we see Luke Shaw for Manchester United and we see him struggle and you're like, they're like different players when they play for United. And I think, you know, not, not to draw too many contrasts, but you know, like Liverpool-Arsenal, some of the passing in the second half, you know, Arsenal actually had a very good first half, I thought, but some of the passing in the second half was a bit loose and it looked like, mm. it looked like stress because Arsenal's positioning was off and like they weren't obvious passing lanes. So then you kind of like, you're slightly anxious about your pass completion or whatever. It felt like United... It's not often I like to talk about player psychology on a pitch, but the play looked anxious, right? The play, the play looked anxious. It's, it's when, those moments when you don't know where your next clear chance is coming from, your next goal is coming from. And this isn't specific to Solskjaer. This was, this was visible under, when, United, when Van Gaal was there and United were creating very few chances and finishers would snatch at Martial, who was a brilliant finisher when he first arrived at United, became a very tentative, nervous finisher because he just didn't know where the next chance was coming from. Yeah. And you, by the end of Solskjaer's reign, you did see that with some of the forwards and some of the players, some of the midfielders.
2: Okay, let's wrap up on the game really quick. Like The scoreline was really, fair. Actually, yeah. like in a the way. the scoreline was yeah, pretty fair. It was, yeah. fair. was fair. It was fair. I think Man United maybe could have had another, but it didn't feel anything other than fair, really. I mean, Donny van, van der Beek coming on and kind of getting a goal almost instantly.
0: And yeah. looking brilliant. And looking brilliant, I actually. I mean, this
2: is something we'll maybe talk about in a little bit, but anyway. Props to Watford, props to Ranieri, big, big win. Let's talk about Solskjaer. We got an email from Tyler Scott who said, um, with Solskjaer getting sacked, it dawned on me that he is Ned Stark, an honourable man loved by his people, was successful in the past. He was also stubborn as fuck and was playing checkers while all around him were playing chess. So if Ollie is Ned, what characters are the other managers? Cheers from
0: the States. That's actually brilliant. (laughs) That's brilliant. I mean, Guardiola is, is Stannis Baratheon. (laughs) <laughs> sacrificing everything, but still coming up slightly short in the Champions League. No, um, that's it. I think the thing about Solskjaer is Ned Stark is interesting. I mean, because you're not entirely innocent when you know. So first of all, a great analogy. So I'm just being, I'm just nitpicking because it's fun and I, I want to develop the analogy a bit more. When you take a job like the Manchester United one, you're not entirely innocent because you will understand. He would have understand, understood that that was, a job he was never lucky to get again. Now that's, that's the biggest job Solskjaer probably mm. ever get in managerial football, right? Uh, in football. And you take that job not only because you love the club, but also because it's like, it's the big time. And if you pull it off, you might just get to hang around. And also in the manner of politicians who wait slightly too long in safe seats, you kind of want to cling to power, even though you know that you probably shouldn't be there after a certain point. And this is the thing to remember about the Solskjaer interim experiment, management experiment. There is actually a universe in which this works. There's a universe in which he does this, gives United a kind of fuel injection, restores some identity and then bounces. Well, it was the plan, right? That was the plan. And this, well, this was the, this was, I mean, this was discussed at the beginning. It was kind of not seen as a permanent arrangement and it became permanent. Cynically speaking, as I said, a, I said in my article, it's an, it's an unsentimental ownership with a sentimental face. And there were a lot Mm -hmm. of things that worked about it. There was a lot of things. There aren't many ways in which the owner's desires align with the desires of the supporters and those in the pitch. But there was a moment at United where there was a Venn diagram where everyone was kind of getting what they wanted. It was a brief, it was a few months, whatever. The football was as exciting as it had been since 2013, in many respects, since when Ferguson departed. But really, like, talking about Solskjaer, I think we'd almost need to look at the gun of the Watford game very quickly and then, like, use that as a kind of metaphor for the rest of it. What do we have in the Watford game? We had a midfield that was absolutely overrun, under-recruited, but still under-coached. Because if you look at how Fred and McTominay play for their national teams, they play a lot better. Fred has a much clearer sense and is much more creative. McTominay is solid at the Euros in the centre mid, like looked really, really good, like in a structure where you have runners around him as well. Like it works. There are other coaches out there doing a better job with the players that Solskjaer has. Then you've got, anom- not anomalies, but you've got, you've got people like Luke Shaw in that team who. You no, know, Luke Shaw looking better than ever under Solskjaer. So Solskjaer is responsible for that evolution and that restoration of confidence. But then you've also got Maguire not looking himself. You've got Ronaldo who is assigning that the owner that the, the manager didn't ask for this. There's multiple points of dysfunction in the United team. You've got Van der Beek coming on, playing these beautiful passes, and Manchester United supporters, several of them going, Oh wow, look at that, isn't that amazing? And it's like everyone knew this is who van der Beek was. You've mm. got Jadon Sancho, a, wide, a right-sided wide forward, which is the role that Solskjaer excelled in. And Solskjaer, who played in that role, doesn't know to integrate one of the world's best playmakers in that role. So it's like, if you look at that performance against Watford, it's like, it's a microcosm of everything, both wrong and right that he did in his time at United, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think the, there's been so much written. There's been so much said. There's been so much done online about Solskjaer and Manchester United over the last mm. however long kind of feels like there's nothing to add. Mm. Stepping back from it now, you can clearly see his whole appointment and the way it was handled mm. is a huge clue into the lack of strategy, the lack of leadership and the lack of football now at a senior level and executive level within the football club because United just looked lost after Ferguson. I think a similar thing happened with Arsenal, but I don't think it happens at the same extreme. No, no. Uh, And I think the reason that it it wasn't so extreme with Arsenal was because I think that Ferguson and Wenger left on two very different terms. So I think with Arsenal there was this thirst for change whereas I think with Manchester United there was this kind of reluctance to see Ferguson go. I think what happens with football clubs, let me put it this way because it's not a Manchester United specific problem. I think what happens with football clubs is that when they become so, so reliant on a single figure or a single team of people for a certain amount of time, once that goes the fear factor really kicks in. Mm -hmm. I think what happened with Solskjaer was that for a while, it felt like the kind of good old days again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what tricked or triggered the executive level at Manchester United or Woodward specifically to kind of give Solskjaer more time because all they've really been doing at executive level for the last, however fucking long since Ferguson left really, is firefighting,
1: really. Yeah.
2: yeah, They've not put together a super, super substantial title challenge as in like, to the wire. They've spent a hell of a lot of money. Mm. They've got an absolute tot- toxic ownership. It's not, you know, they've got a, um, a stadium that is in huge need of repair. The infrastructure around the club, considering it's a club of this size, is falling behind the other elite clubs in Europe. Mm. Solskjaer kind of made that all go away for a minute. It was kind of like, um, it was like a reunion party. Yeah. You know? It, just, it was just like, oh, wow, didn't we have some good times? Didn't we must have some good times. Like, why don't, we do, why, don't we go, why don't we do one more gig? You know, let's do one more gig. Why don't we go, why don't we do a tour? Let's do a tour. Yeah. And actually, it's like, no, it's not. It might be good for three or four shows. But by the end of it, people are like...
0: This reminds me why we broke up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Perfect analogy. Yeah. What
2: worries me from a Manchester United perspective now is that things that needed to change haven't changed. So the, the worst kept secret was that it was Solskjaer till the end of the season and then Potch. Now I think what happens with Manchester United probably more so than any other club in England at the moment is that when things start going a certain way there are a lot of ex-players in with high profile roles in punditry that are just way in. Yes. Right? And I think that creates a real problem for the club. Yes. I think it happened with the, the Ronaldo signing which I think has been not successful so far. I, I think agree. it happened with Solskjaer and again this all falls into this kind of the children of Sir Alex. There's this real real big kind of like the children of Sir Alex movement, if you know what I mean. And mm. that goes to fans, that goes to ex-players, that goes to media to a certain degree. And I think that goes to like coaches as well. I'm definitely not criticizing fans about this because they're not the ones who should be making the decisions. But I think it's really, really easy to kind of sit there and be like, give him the contract, anything he wants. It's quite ironic actually that, short, that for a club that constantly preaches about legacy and Mm. long-term thinking and how what you know thank god they didn't sign they didn't sack Alex Ferguson before he went on for 27 more years or 26 more years but they've been dealing with such short-termism over the last seven years eight years it's
0: wild it's wild yeah
2: this extends all the way through to the summer Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer as good a job as he may have been doing in parts and I think it is important to state that there have been points that he has been doing a good job considering yep. the circumstances especially with what's going on with football or what has gone on with football over the past two years three years because of the pandemic and yes the, all, everything's been all over the place the condensed schedule everything like that you have to say that there have been certain contexts that he has done a pretty good job in yes a lot of talk about has like Solskjaer has left the club in a better place than when he found it yes and no
0: though yeah bingo and the problem is, you have he, what he was building at Manchester United, it, to be most charitable to him, they brought in Ronaldo, but Ronaldo was not consistent with the approach he was building. They, they bought him Ronaldo instead of buying him two midfielders, for example, which would have served him far better. I felt tactically that was going to be a, a massive problem.
2: Well, tactically, it was always going to be a problem because when United have done well under Solskjaer, and this is one of the reasons why they've done so well on the road, counterattacking without the ball, that is when Solskjaer's United has been firing yeah they've not been a ball dominant team
0: no they've done
2: really well with um, pace using the width using a really they've got some really really good technical like finishes actually I think a lot of that United's world are actually quite underrated in their finishing
0: yeah it changes the focus of the attack it changes the fluidity you still got a fair bit of speed in the break but you don't have that fluidity and and I think it's ironic because he one of that's one of the reasons he got rid of Lukaku he wanted more fluidity Mm. and then you return to the very scenario he didn't want. And again, this does come back to the Glazers, the Glazers and, and the management. Like, and I, I was thinking the other day, there are people, there are obviously people at United who know exactly what they're doing, but they're underpromoted. In all large dysfunctional institutions, there are people that know exactly what they're doing and they're underpromoted. So there are people that knew that Bruno Financh would work in that context, which he has been very successful, right? Mm-hmm. Those people have to be found and promoted. But I'm even, reluctant to, I'm even reluctant to suggest that as a possible solution because that is still a sticking plaster. The point is when you have people in charge of the football club whose primary concern is simply the repayment of debt and that is by far the great, you know, all football owners, all club owners have, they look at the financial side. But at Manchester United, it has to be reiterated that this club was bought as a spectacularly unsentimental investment opportunity. And that, and that unfortunately, with that, you're gonna go all
2: Andy Tate then. The club was bought on a on spectrum,
0: and you know, it's um, it's grim because what must Sir Alex Ferguson feel because the Glazer ownership came in under his watch? I think it amazes about Manchester United, right? Amazes me, will always blow my mind. That in, That organization is full of people who regard themselves as business leaders, political leaders, statesmen, master strategists, master strategists. And this is what they've created. This is, they are behaving like rich kids who can't believe their inheritance. They're, you know, you know, those those rich kids you meet at uni who just like, they've never experienced any kind of risk. And it's basically like everyone else's stress. And they're just, they're just sunning around. They're going to get a tutu and a job. in the like, they, the dad's like hedge fund. Like it's, this is the energy because they're behaving as if there's no sort of actual consequences for them. Like, and I am kind of amazed. I will say this. There's a kind of amazement I do have. There is so much wisdom in and around Manchester United about what needs to be done to take the club forward. There is so much wisdom. There are blogs, there are articles, essays, brilliant. Like some of our friends Mm. those finalists. And here's the thing. The wisdom reached the boardroom last of all. There's a word for this, um, a cacistocracy. It's- Wow. When an an institution is run by the worst possible leadership, a cacistocracy. We have a cacistocracy at Manchester United. We really do.
2: Fucking Musa Aguanga, (laughs) the- footballing Susie Dent over there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean though? But it's like, it's just with, you know, then this is, this is why I'm like yourself. I, I look at Solskjaer and I provide critique, but at the same time he was given a job that most people in his position would take.
2: Steve Bruce wants the job. Like, uh, this is the thing. The Manchester United job holds such weight. If I got offered the Arsenal job tomorrow, I'd fucking take it. (laughs) you know come on let's get real i'm not i'm I'm way out of my depth i'm massively underqualified Because I'd be in the Arsenal dugout. It's a club that means a hell of a lot to me. It means, Manchester United probably means even more to Oligon Gunnar Solskjaer. The guy scored the winner in a European Cup final.
0: Greatest goal probably in their history. Arguably the greatest goal in their history. Or the history. Yeah, the most glorious goal.
2: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, he's going to take the job. He's going to sign a contract extension. I kind of don't really have any beef with Solskjaer at all. I think the thing with it is that it has been such a, it has been such a unicorn of an appointment mm. in terms of, Person, club, circumstance, outcome that the normal rules just haven't applied to to the whole thing. Right. Because it's kind of like this is really, really disrespectful analogy. So I don't I'm not calling Solskjaer a baby just to clarify this from the jump. But it's like when you throw a baby in a swimming pool, you know, like, and you're trying yeah. to teach them how to swim and get used to it. You know, like when I was younger, you know, your parents kind of threw you in the swimming pool and you kind of go under a bit and you come back up and again, you float, right? It'd be like if my parents had thrown me in the swimming pool at like three years old and all of a sudden I started doing butterfly. Yes, exactly. It'd just be like, holy shit, he's doing butterfly. (laughs) He's not doing it as quick as like an Olympic athlete. Yeah. But he's still doing butterfly and we didn't expect him to do butterfly. We didn't. And we didn't expect you didn't expect Solskjaer to have the third highest win percentage in the post-war era at Manchester United. You didn't expect Solskjaer to secure back-to-back no. third place finishes for the first time since Ferguson had left. You didn't expect Solskjaer to beat Pep. Yeah. And out
0: outthink out him, outthink him now and again. Like I yeah. kind
2: of forgive everyone's point of view on Solskjaer to a degree because I think it has been confusing he's going to be fine. I think he's, his reputation is going to be fine actually.
0: Yeah. Because Afterwards. even, even as the dust has lifted pretty quickly because people look, people are going to, well, he requested to do the MUTV
2: interview, which I personally found a little bit uncomfortable. But for him,
0: I think it's brilliant for him. Mm-hmm. It actually puts a full stop under it. Like, yeah, things didn't work out, but everyone kind of gets the sense, that, you know, he, there's no, no one would dispute even his biggest critics that he did, like his best.
2: Yeah. He'll go down as like a three year interim manager.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. That restored a lot of it. And they'll be able to look at some of the football and be like, do you know what? We played some great stuff there. And I think actually that will pass fairly soon. The storm will pass fairly soon for him. Mm. Can I say this is the difference between people that campaign and people that govern. He's very good at campaigning. And the the problem is like, and that's why the away record was so good. It's the rebel warrior spirit, right? Right. So you're on, mm. you're, you're, kind of, you're going away from home quite literally in this case and you snatch something and there's that kind of, there's the adrenaline and the thing about governing, it's boring. Governing is about consolidating and having something to lose. And you look at like United's home record, which wasn't the greatest, right? And it was difficult for them to govern. And by governing, I mean like, you know, to coach at home because at home you're expected to break down teams who are still aware of the kind of aura of Old Trafford. And they're also aware that you're a, you're a home team. So sitting back at Old Trafford won't wash because the crowd doesn't want it. So Mm. coaches are coming to Old Trafford going, they're United. We know they love playing on the counter, but we also know that they can't get away with that at home because the fans won't want it. The fans won't stand for it. So all we've got to do is wait for them to play a game. They don't want to play and then we'll kill them on the break. And that was happening time and again at United. Um, And I think it's no coincidence that that Solskjaer's best coaching came in, I guess, chaotic circumstances. You know, during the pandemic or on the breakaway, when things are kind of in flux, where the man of magic comes out and all the speeches about United Way come out and like, let's pull together and band together, all that stuff. But when the Premier League got more stable again, when it got technocratic again, when it got about X's and O's and square pegs and square holes, when it became about the boring work of compressing spaces and how you block off passing lanes, when it became about that again, all of a sudden you just saw the turbocharged top three with their squad depth and frankly their unified tactical thinking just pull ahead. Just pull ahead.
2: Again, I think that this is, Solskjaer has a lot to blame in terms of what happens on the pitch, for sure. I think that not being aware of the long-term outcome, let's say, uh, yeah, or abandoning the long-term plan because of a, a few, <laughs> a bit of a run. Yeah. This is a decision that they should have made ages ago. You're giving someone an international break, and if a draw, if they'd scrambled a draw against Watford, he might have still been in a job. Like, what is that? I get the thing about Conte because I think it might have been in the Athletic I was reading, and I completely agree that the the reason that, yeah, I think it was uh, Andy Mitton's thing in the Athletic about who they're going to sign next. Maybe we'll talk about it. They didn't want to go for Conte because they were still kind of scarred from Mourinho.
0: The short termism as well, because Conte, you might be here again, you might be here again in two years. Yeah. you might well be here again in two years. I don't actually know that he was the, I mean, if Conte is what is that funny thing. You pick your poison with Conte. I think you pick, here's the thing. I think you, you employ Conte when your club infrastructure is really good. And you're like, do you know what? We mm. need like a two-year revamp We're fundamentally all the financials are sound. We're looking good. We'll bring him in because we need a bit of an injection, which is why someone like Chelsea is good for him because you can bring him in he does his thing. And look at Chelsea. They're so funny. Like they, <laughs> Chelsea just absorbed no scars from that at all. And he's gone and it's all good. Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. as Larry, but you don't bring him into an ailing infrastructure institution because very quickly he will start kicking off quite rightly about like, hang on a minute. I'm an absolute pro, which he is. I'm highly intense, almost overwhelmingly so, which he is. Why am I surrounding circumstances like this? And this is why people like Luis Enrique, I'm like, do you understand who Luis Enrique is? Like, this man has an infrastructure around him. He had one at Barca, like before Barca went like imploded. He had a pretty good infrastructure before they started sacking all the best people around him. But you know, so when considering managers to bring in, you have to understand managers are looking at this. And I said, I said this in my piece in the ring, where I said, I don't I almost don't envy the next manager of Manchester United because they're looking at this going, this club doesn't know what it wants. So if it's employing me, does it even know that it wants me and does it even understand me? because it doesn't seem to have understood any of its previous appointments since Sir Alex Ferguson.
2: Sounds like you on a second date. Oh my
0: God. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, they, could... <laughs> they could argue this club has not made a timely appointment in 35 years, a timely permanent one. They could argue uh, that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but they haven't needed to. That's a bit. That's the, no, but that's also the point. It's also the point. Like they had, I hesitate to keep even mentioning Fergus and I feel like this is part of the problem that we shouldn't mention it. And I feel like also, you know, you were more generous than me. I, someone say that pundits just can say anything because that's their job. Actually, no, I, I think that, um, I'm going to sound a bit like old man yelling at cloud. I think pundits do have a bit of responsibility actually. You know, like I think pundits do have a bit of responsibility. If you see someone like Jamie yeah, Carragher, no, no, Jamie, they do. They do. Jamie yeah. Carragher is somebody who I think observes his responsibility as a pundit really quite well, really mm-hmm. quite well Who's someone who is very frank. And I think Carragher maybe has learned from watching all those Liverpool pundits, as ex-Liverpool players in the media rooms time after time, just being so partisan and it's so harmful. And Carragher came in and shattered that with his analysis mm. of Liverpool. Like he's so frank He's very honest. He's humble about himself and all the rest of it. And I think that some of the analysis we've seen from excited players has been so fact-free that it's actually been damaging to discourse.
1: Mm.
0: I just think that, you know, it's, it's sad because a lot of the things that Solskjaer did, you know, the, the, the squad turnover, that was one of the best things he did. The squad, re- rebalancing mm. the squad with the parameters he was given taking players out who didn't quite fit. Like he did really quite a good job with that. If, if you have to assess all the things he did, the higher marks are around what he did with that. There was something that he was putting together. And I just, mm. that's the frustration now at this point. And it's who comes in. And United, I don't, they're not going down because they just have too much firepower to go down. They have too much about them. And the teams in trouble are in too much trouble, mm. are in too much trouble. But United could conceivably end up like very much lower mid table. There's no question why they wouldn't, because the Watford thing actually, the Watford thing is worse than the Liverpool or City defeats in its own way, because the Watford defeat truly signals its open season. People mm. were expecting a thrashing against Liverpool at some extent, they were expecting one against City, but the Watford result anyone can have a go at you at this point, and mm. everyone knows that you're in flux. Ever knows you're desperate for new leadership. Everyone knows what the dressing room is saying. People are reading all that stuff and lapping it up. Agents are reading it. Defence is not happy. Midfield's not happy. That is an absolute treat. Yep. And some of the things coming out about like, you know, players briefing against Solskjaer while supporting him publicly, all of that's going to come out. Like that's all uh, extremely interesting.
2: Mourinho was there. There are some rats in the
0: dressing room. Oh my goodness.
2: Remember that at Chelsea? Br- bringing there are back- rats in the dressing room. Bring Marino back. No, bring him- leave him where he is. He's <laughs> fine. Leave him where <laughs> yes. he is. All exactly. right. So let's let's we've been talking about it for a long, long time. We have, we have. It looks like Carrick is going to take charge. And this is actually a, i I'm interested about this because it looks like the day to day the day to day isn't really going to change that much because Carrick, McKenna, Phelan, I think, take most of the sessions
0: anyway, right? I'm interested in this because I want to see how much more of an executive decision Carrick has because I know that he would have coached but I don't think Carrick would have got final say. And the thing about Carrick is, and I might have said this, did I say this on the podcast before about Carrick doing an interim? I'm not sure if I said it in the podcast. I'm not sure. But I did say it to, you've I have said to a couple of, of- You've said a lot of wild shit on this podcast. I, oh my God, especially, yeah. I did <laughs> say it to a couple of friends about Carrick and I said, Carrick does know how to organize a midfield, right? He does know, mm. it's different like managing, but is he having final say in tactics? I don't know, but I'd be interested to see what he does with this collection of players. Because I feel like he could bring some organisation that we hadn't seen before. And also don't forget the United have lost Varane and Varane is basically mm. someone who, you know, that speed, if you've got Varane's speed alongside Maguire, that solves a lot of problems.
2: So there's talk about them getting an interim until the end of the season and then appointing a manager full time.
0: I'd keep Carrick, to be honest. Just keep not, and write, Do you, do you, you I,
2: think the season's a write-off? Or can I be briefly honest?
0: They're not going to go down.
2: But what if they miss out on Champions League?
0: If you're running a football club and you actually understand football and you're looking at the other teams and how good they are, yes, try and look around and get a fuel injection for the Champions League, but fundamentally have a quiet conversation says, if we don't get it this year, it's not the end of the world. If we don't get it, we, if we're thinking about the long term, if we're really planning seriously, we can't have both. We can't get a short-term manager who'll come in and like juice everything up because I'm not sure that I'm not sure there's a good enough manager out there that can actually like revamp this squad. And a manager that comes in at this point in the season that does a really good job, it might be a problem when it comes to like later on in the season where we're like, the pressure to kind of keep them. And we don't want that again. We don't want a kind of like Cinderella manager again who comes in, revamps everything, and it's all of a sudden like give them a permanent. We don't want that. Let's put in place a proper structure of what we want for the next manager. And we approach that manager and go, listen, we probably will not get Champions League there will be budget and we go from there and I, mm. I, I say you almost, you almost quietly write it off to be honest do you mean otherwise you're chasing you're yeah. chasing you're almost in denial does that make sense? you're almost in denial about a thing that's not going to happen who do you genuinely think is on the cars to come in they have talked about Pochettino at PSG and I don't think that looks like an enjoyable setup it's not a good fit for him
2: it's whether they'll release him though he wanted to go to Spurs and they wouldn't so
0: also the amount of promises they have to make him the amount of assurances they've got to give him that investment I honestly, to be honest with you, I don't know, Ryan. I, I know
2: have it sounds no weird. I
0: have, I have no idea at all.
2: I'd be very surprised if Zidane goes anywhere near that gig.
0: Right, why would he? And he still has his mystique.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I think Rangnick is a shout, but I think Rangnick is a curious one because, I mean, he's, he's not long into this locomotive contract. And the thing about Rangnick is that he will want complete power. Mm. He needs power and he needs money. The thing that a lot of people get twisted about Rangnick is that he's some kind of like football whisperer. He's not. He needs budget. And he needs power. And if he doesn't have that, it won't work. That's why he didn't take the Schalke gig. Mm. If he goes to Manchester United, he will want to oversee everything. And I'm not entirely sure if the executive level will be prepared to do that. And in fact, if, if I'm being honest, I'm not entirely sure it's a great idea.
0: I don't think it's either. They need different structures now. They need proper like infrastructure.
2: It's really, really tough to see who they might come in or might bring in. But again, this is Manchester, this is the Manchester United job.
0: They were being run by owners who aligned more of the off-field goals with the on-field ones. And if this, is the, this is the tragedy for them. This was avoidable. So much of this was avoidable. Mm-hmm. If they basically had appointed people in the key roles who had the same respect for the stuff on the pitch as the commercial matters, they'd be laughing. They'd be absolutely laughing. And that's the grand humiliation here. It is a humiliation because none of this had to happen. It's just, it's just rank bad recruitment. It's all it is. It's like, it's the biggest HR disaster in modern footballing history.
2: Is there anything else you would like to talk about about this? Because we've done basically an episode on it.
0: I'm glad it's over. And I don't yeah, mean just for me because I am, actually, actually. I, I managed to kind of detach, you know, myself emotionally from a lot of it. I'm glad it's over for him to be honest. I'm a bit annoyed at United, I would say, because someone like him should never have been in this position. The goodwill of a legend they gambled his goodwill. They gambled like his goodwill. And that, that's pretty shameful if you're relying on that. It's quite, it's quite cowardly running of a football club.
2: But also positive for Manchester United. They have a turbo squad. And do. they should be doing better. Maybe a fresh pair of eyes can set it off, you know? I agree. All right, man. Let's do some other stuff quick. Yes, yes. And do you know what I was really into? Intercontinental oh my Derby. Fenerbahce beating Galatasaray two one, but the tifo that the Galatasaray fans unveiled <laughs> before the Squid Game one—did you see it?
0: No, I didn't see. It, I didn't see it. Oh my god, Squid <laughs>
2: Game in like Galatasaray <laughs> colours, incredible, incredible. Um, I love that. Big win for Fenerbahce though, be, win winning two one. Javi's first game as Barcelona manager.
0: Do you know what? I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it for so many reasons. I enjoyed it because it was Espanyol, and there's nothing tastier than your first game being a derby at home. Some of the passing combinations, like watching Busquets looking so happy, which he'd done at certain elements under Cooman, to be fair to Koeman, but Busquets looking happy. Some of the running, some of the debuts that he gave, Ricky Pooch bounding on the pitch going, I've got a second chance at like Barca. Little Ilias. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All of the Ilias coming in, doing a great shift and using Gavi in the final third. I thought this was quite interesting, actually. Very interesting because I thought, oh, this is fascinating. Teams that know that Chavi's. Teams will be ball dominant. will sit deep. So you want to have someone high up the pitch as possible who retains the ball. It was almost like Nasri uh, playing wild, wide for France. Or actually, remind me of Mesut Ozil playing in the final third for Germany mm-hmm. at the World Cup uh, 2014, mm-hmm. where you knew that teams would sit deep against Germany because everyone knew they were so amazing on the counter in 2010. So you have Ozil high up on the left because you know he'll just never lose the ball. And the Gavi thing felt similar. Also, can I say, Gavi, shoelaces untied what's that about what is, is the whole that game? <laughs> yeah. what is going on there can I say there is such big naughty schoolboy energy in like Ricky Pooch Gavi and Pedri and Ansu Fati oh, well, yeah, Ansu, yeah. Ansu, Ansu Fati on the bench and he's looking down at the bench and I just thought I would love whenever one of those young players scores a goal to put up the crowd and be like it's so much fun down here come on what are you doing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They were, they were fun against Espanyol. I mean, Espanyol mm, should yeah, have... They rode they rode their look a bit. They though, did, oh my yeah. yeah Espanyol yeah, hit the post, what, twice? That was fun too. I mean, that was fun too. I mean, Missed some absolute sitters. Absolute sitters. You saw the gaps. You saw the work that Barca have to do. What I love about this victory is you can't get carried away with it. It's a 1-0 win. No, yeah. It's a 1-0 win. You see the possibilities. You see the excitement. You see some of the ball movement. But you also know... There's work, so in in many ways, it's the perfect, the perfect result for Chavvy. I would have thought.
2: Yeah, quickly in La Liga, Hector Bellerin got his first ever
0: senior red card for Betis. He's doing a lot of work. He's had a very dramatic start his time at Betis. Own goal in the derby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's on journey. He's on journey.
2: They won the game three 0 against LJ away. Uh, Real Madrid beat Granada four one. Who and they are top of the league now because uh, Real Sociedad drew with Valencia nil nil. Letty scraped through against Osasuna on Saturday. Um, in France, Lyon Marseille was stopped after five minutes because of Dimitri Payet being hit with a water bottle whilst taking a corner. We've
0: said this before. France have had a few stoppages this year. This, this, had this a year has real, been really bad, actually. It's really, really bad really
2: because they had, obviously, the Nice-Marseille game which was abandoned and replayed. Nice were docked a point and another one suspended. There's another one... It's, it's an Etienne games. It's 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 a
0: Real trouble up there.
2: Yeah, it was like a full bottle of water hit him straight on the head. France has got a real problem this season with that. Yeah. Um, it's becoming very, very bad indeed. Yeah. Uh, PSG beat on on Saturday... Messi's
0: first league uh, goal. Can I say the second goal for Nantes, terrible own goal. Felt so sorry. They worked so hard to get back into it. And then that. It was so, it was <laughs> so, so unlucky. So unfortunate. It was
2: so unlucky. They were they did, I think they did really well, Nantes actually. And especially yeah, yeah. because Nav- Navas got sent off for an absolute wild challenge. It was on Ludovic Blast, Like, He came running out. Awful. And just like kicks him in the chest. It was horrible.
0: It was a really, it it felt
2: uncharacteristic. Yeah, it was a little bit scrappy from Navas. He's not really like that usually. But um, PSG, 11 points clear at the top of the table now. Messi's goal was lovely as well. Serie A went absolutely wild this weekend. There were about 85 goals in Serie A this weekend.
0: And some incredible games, yeah, yeah.
2: Dries Mertens with what ended up to be a useless goal but a beautiful one nonetheless. That's a gorgeous strike. With 11 minutes to go in Inter against Napoli, which was 3-2. He had one to equalise, didn't he? That volley yeah, right near it. the end that yeah. he skied. Um, Dries Mertens is very much in the... Uh, he's, he's, he's a big one of Fir- Firmino's law, I think.
0: Dries yeah, like, as in people that like... Everyone says they're underrated, yeah. but they're actually rated. There's a funny one with this. So um, again, shout out to Simone Inzaghi, the job he's doing at Inter. This is a, such an impressive victory mm-hmm. because... They really, really needed this. Napoli's first league defeat of the season. And just the intensity they played with. Because the thing about Milan, like Milan are higher in the league than Inter, but I still sometimes feel, I somehow feel it will come down to Napoli-Inter. I don't know why and call me wrong. Well, I mean, they're
2: completely mirroring each other's results. Like Milan lost 4-3 away at Fiorentina on Saturday, which was their first league defeat of the season. Sunday, Napoli's first league defeat of the season. On the last match day, they both drew one-all. Milan Derby and Napoli drew one-all against Hellas, Verona. So funny. So they completely mirrored each other's results, which is very, very bizarre.
0: Um, Dusan Vlajevic, again, with a stand-up performance. Unbelievable.
2: He did the whole, like, my house yeah. celebration.
0: He's putting himself in a lot of shop windows. There are a lot of teams. Right. Actually, yeah, uh, Manchester City. <clears throat> There's a lot of teams that could look at him as a nine and be like, this man would slot perfectly. If that man went someone like that, he'd be
2: fairly reasonable as this well, is the price thing. Wise.
0: And he's been, look, yeah. on, every time I've checked in on him, he's been brilliant. Mm. The only one I want to say very quickly about Inter-Napoli, and this is a slightly aesthetic thing, and I know you like this stuff. You know, in football, there's always been a situation where a shirt has looked way better on an athlete than it has on a normal civilian. That's accepted. It feels like that is more than ever the case these days. And the Napoli shirt with the Maradona on the front, a lot of people don't oh, like it. so nice. On the players, it looked incredible. so thought. good. In- amazing, right?
2: I'm into it. Quick shout for Roma beat Genoa 2-0. Uh, Venezia beat Bologna 1-0, which is a big, big win. Uh, Venezia are up to 13th. A nice, tidy six-point gap on yeah. the relegation zone. Juve beat Lazio away 2-0 on Saturday. What that- I
0: want to say as well is, um, and then after, Atlanta moving up Serie A pretty nicely now, mm. after a slightly sort of uh, checkered start just want to say quickly um, the shout out for Gian, who's got those two goals against Genoa. He's 18 years old. Just have a, have a look if you can at the second goal. There's a thing that happens in Italian football where a young player announces themselves a spectacular strike. Like you saw with Cassano,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Bari against, I think it was Inter. And I think Gian, some will say it's only Genoa, but it's just the way this man took control. The way this teenager took control at a time when Roma needed him to in that context it's extremely impressive so watch out for that guy their goal the second goal in particular is an absolute absolute scorcher belter yeah let's go to Germany quick shouts to Augsburg
2: they beat Bayern 2-1 on Friday Augsburg's first win over Bayern since like first proper win since 2014 kind of needed it as well because they've jumped out of the relegation zone now hmm Elsewhere in the Bundesliga very quick, Union won the derby 2-0 against Hertha on Saturday night. Leipzig lost to Hoffenheim. Leipzig are very catfish, you know, they're co- big contender for catfish of the year. But...
0: <sighs> they looked very, it's not, not very organised. They, look, they looked, um, they looked strangely shapeless. I mean, anything that's shapeless an is. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're an odd side. Yeah, they're very, odd they, are very odd. An
2: odd. they are an odd side. we said this.
0: Just one more shout long. for the, very quickly on the Union um, things, partly because I had a couple of friends at the game, but also because they looked wonderful and I really like that front line. Of our knee and Cruiser, me too. It's just so much it's fun. fun. It's, it's so really much fun. fun. Do you know what it is? It, really fun. <laughs> you know, something's about like the, the understated thing. I think I've said about the forward line many times is forwards that stare out of each other's way, yeah. and they both know when to drop and when to go. They're great on the counter. They're great at deep line defenses. Cruiser is a really, really good playmaker.
2: Max Cruiser's ace man. I yeah, love him. Awesome. Awesome. I love him. Uh, Dortmund beat Stuttgart two one. Premier League. We haven't talked about the Premier League. Goodness. At um, Liverpool, were great against Arsenal.
0: Yeah, they were. A slight shame with the scoreline. First half, I really liked them.
2: I think Arsenal got it wrong. I think Arsenal didn't go long enough. Actually.
0: I agree. Of course. Of
2: course. And Jamie Carragher said this on on Righty's House last week. He was just like, if Arsenal try and play out the back, Liverpool kill them. And what did Arsenal do? They (laughs) fucked around with it for ages. And when it was clear that, like, actually, Ramsdale's distribution, Ben White's distribution, long, is great. Yeah, just use it. Yeah, yeah. I think Arsenal could have caused way more problems if they just actually bypass midfield. I agree. Hit those wide areas, like, long. So, uh, one of those, I think. Ars- I think it was actually in the long term. I think this will do Arsenal a lot of good. Bit of a reality check.
0: I just think that yeah, you're right. Going along was the key, and I, I felt like a couple of situations where just Arsenal's positioning in midfield, where there weren't good passing options yeah, open, it was quite poor. It was and poor. like you know, you had like young players who were misplacing passes. Like you know, mm-hmm. bless him. I saw with half an hour to go, Tavares misplaced the pass, and I thought, do you know? I thought at that point, and I don't say this with any kind of in any sort of ill will. I just thought, gosh, I really feel for you because there's half an hour of this game to go and that Anfield atmosphere is coming at you. And it just, you know, you're looking around, there's not that many easy passes on. There aren't that many moments mm. of possession where you can just like take the tempo out of it. Um, and Partey looked to be not, not moving as well as he has done. So yeah, it was just a difficult afternoon for Arsenal. Um, but impressive play yeah. Very quickly, Steven Gerrard, 2-0 win, uh, his yes. first game uh, over Brighton. They looked really, you know, just... Can I check the XG? Yeah, the XG, XG cards.
2: Oh, and they beat him on XG. They were
0: impressive, Villa.
2: 0.53 to 0. 0.52. Impressive. Have that,
0: Graham Potter. <laughs> <laughs> they were impressive. Um, they were good. Can I say, Corne for Burnley is scoring some beautiful goals. Rodri got an absolute... Oh my God. He's- oh my goodness, that...
2: Fabian Delft, though. He pulled out a little bit.
0: Yeah, he but should. then... Yeah, but then... It, yeah, Ryan, it would have... He would have woken up this morning without teeth. I mean.
2: <laughs> Fabian Delph, Delph was like closing down Roger and then was just like, hang on a minute, I've got a family.
0: I don't want the smoke. Yeah. Do you know what? The ball is hit so hard. You know, like you hit the ball so hard. It's like, are you trying to hit the cover off this? Mm. Also Cancelo's pass.
2: Cancelo's pass for the first one was
0: unbelievable. That's on the part. Yeah. That's so on the best good. part. Yeah. Great assist. It
2: was a really yeah. beautiful angle from right behind it. Have you seen it? it so good, man. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Chance to be in Leicester 3-0. Canty's goal was amazing.
0: There were some great goals this weekend, actually. There were some great goals, yeah.
2: Yeah, shout to Wolves for beating West Ham as well. That's a big yeah. result for Wolves. Yeah. Some big results in the Women's Super League this weekend. Arsenal beat Man United 2 0 away. Uh, Viv Medima got a lovely goal in this game. Chelsea beat Birmingham 5 0. Manchester City beat Villa 5 0. Actually,
0: Sam Kerr, first half hat trick, I think it was. You are correct. Kerr and Kirby. Yep. Five between them.
2: In the Frauen Bundesliga, it's kind of as you were. Uh, Wolfsburg beat sm 5 1. Bayern beat Carl Zeiss, Jena. 3 0. Turbinum and Hoffenheim had a great game. It was 3 0. Wolfsburg still a point clear at the top.
0: Can I say, I'm interested to see how Wolfsburg handled being front runners? Well, I
2: mean, they're used to it. They
0: did it for a decade almost. Yeah, but they're going to ease back into the groove. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway.
2: Don't worry about them. I, I'm tracked into the top three after beating Leverkusen 1 0. Bundesliga is a great league. It really is. Uh, we've whizzed through a load of other stuff there because we talked so much about the Solskjaer thing.
0: I um, think we had to, yeah, we had to.
2: It is what it is. Sorry we didn't get to go into the Marcus Amfang stuff in, in DC. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to be back on Thursday. It's Thanksgiving in the States. It might be up a little bit earlier for Europe because we're going to record some of it after Tuesday's game, some of it after Wednesday's game, so we can get it up and out before those good people stateside
0: take a lovely day off. Champions League special. Lots, lots of eyebrow action here. Ha, ha, ha. Those are my Champions League eyebrows. Mm, oh, Champions League. Mm, Champions League. <laughs>
2: All right, man. Should we get out of here? Let's do it. Let's do it. We hope everyone staying safe and well. Getting vaccinated if you can. Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Moose's piece is up to read. Don't forget to check Wright's House on Wednesday with Arsene Wenger. Stadio.football. Scroll down. Put your email address in. Get our newsletter. It'll be out on Wednesday. Buy the Stadio jumpers. I'm very bossy right now. Do this. <laughs> Stadio Outreachers players on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on something very apt. Daryl Johnson, Days Gone Past. So fitting. Poignant. Anything you'd like to add, Moosef? Nothing further. Very well. Much love, everyone. We'll be back on Thursday.
0: See you then.